1: Dead America, Heartland. Dead America, The First Week, Book 6. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1 Day Zero Plus Six. Sergeant John Kersey wandered through Grand Bend, jaw clenched, as he scanned the organized chaos around him. There were troops everywhere. The town was a hotbed of activity. Supplies being loaded up in trucks, food being transferred to barracks and transports alike, men loading up to ship out to the front lines. It seemed to John that the military had things as under control as they possibly could, but with more and more zombies seeming to crop up every day, he didn't know how long it was going to take to contain this plague. So many places had fallen back, pulled out. But not Kansas, The military had over 200,000 troops inhabiting the rural areas, cleaning out north of Wichita and taking control of most of the small towns in the area. Most of the locals seemed disgruntled about staunch military presence in their normally quiet lives, but didn't really have much of a choice in the matter but to let the soldiers have their run of the towns. John entered the small town hall that had been cleared out of its mayor to be the base of operations in Grand Bend. He lightly knocked on the doorframe of the back office, surveying the form of his superior and longtime friend, General Stevens. Sergeant, Stevens said with a smile and stood up from his chair. John returned his smile and stepped inside, leaning over the desk to shake the general's hand. Back in one piece, General, he replied. Good, good, Stevens said, and motioned to the chairs in front of his desk. John took a seat and leaned back thankful for the cushy chair cradling his exhausted body. It had been one hell of a week, and he was sure it wasn't going to let up any time soon. So, the general said, folding his arms in front of him over the notebook on his desk. How is it out there? The sergeant shrugged. Same as it's been for the last six days, general, he replied. What have you got for me? Stevens put up a hand and pushed a button on his phone, leaning over. Yes, sir? A bright young voice asked through the speaker. Can you send someone with some coffee for Sergeant Kersey, please? He asked. Right away, sir, the voice replied. John was about to protest, but he knew it had already been done, and damn if he wasn't looking forward to some fresh coffee. Stevens leaned back in his chair, lacing his fingers together and stretching them above his head. Sergeant, do you remember back in Debeka when your team had to covertly move a prisoner? John scratched the back of his head, fighting a smile. Iraq had been rough, but he was proud of some of the things he'd accomplished back then. Yeah, he replied. You had the troops light a bunch of shit on fire as a distraction. A young woman set a mug of coffee on the desk in front of him, her eyebrow raised at his colorful language. Thank you, John said, offering her a smile as he lifted his mug. He took a sip and realized she was still looking at him quizzically. I said shit because I meant literal shit. The troops used an outhouse as kindling. That town stank something awful for days after. Likely weeks, Stevens agreed, and the woman wrinkled her nose. Sorry, I was curious. She muttered to herself and shook her head. She saluted the general and then left the office, closing the door on the two chuckling comrades. You did one hell of a job getting that prisoner out. Stevens nodded his slicked back, salt and pepper hair not moving an inch with the motion. I still don't know how you did it by yourself. Honestly, John shook his head. I strapped him on like a backpack. The general blinked at his subordinate. He was in a pretty bad way, barely conscious. The sergeant explained. I knew with the crawling I'd have to do that slinging him over a shoulder wouldn't work long term. There were a few short lengths of rope in the barn. So I put him on my back and tied his wrists to his knees and took off. There was a moment of silence, and John took a long, loud slurp of his hot, satisfying brew. And that is why I asked you here, John, Stephen said, shaking his head and flattening his palms on his desk. Because you think outside the box. Kersey leaned forward, setting his mug on the table, ready to get down to business. What's the mission, General? Tens of thousands of zombies are fleeing the cities, Stevens explained, taking a deep breath. He pursed his lips, took a deep breath, and continued. Both Kansas City and Wichita are hemorrhaging walking corpses. All of my troops are along major roads and interstates to try to prevent a breach. Unfortunately, it's been reported by one of my scouts that two to three hundred zombies from the Wichita flood have broken free of the main group and are heading up Highway 96 towards Hutchinson. The troops in this area are already overwhelmed with the tens of thousands coming from the front line, so I need you and your team to go and take care of the stragglers before they become a real threat. What about the civilians in Hutchinson? John asked. Evacuated to the north of the city, and the bridges across the Arkansas River have been fortified, Stevens replied. The plan is to barricade the four lane highway at the Highway 50 bridge, blocking off the exit ramps to funnel the zombies to the barricade. I'm gonna need some ammo the sergeant said, taking one last gulp of his coffee. Stevens nodded. There's 500 extra rounds with your name on it, and that should be more than enough to cover it, he said. The horde is about three or four hours out, so with a 45 minute travel time, you should be able to get there early enough to get set up. Aye, aye, General, John said, setting his mug on the desk and standing up. Be careful, John, Stevens said firmly and as soon as you get back, come and see me again. I'm working on something else that will need your talents. The sergeant saluted his general and headed out of the office to gather his team. Chapter Two Kersey approached a set of Humvees where his team had set up a bit of a rest area in the grocery store parking lot. They sat in a semicircle on folding chairs, tearing into thick sandwiches, that a few local young women were passing out to the troops. Well, thank you, little lady, Private Buck Johnson drawled with a grin. The blonde and the Daisy Dukes blushed and giggled as she handed over a ham and cheese sub. Y'all are very welcome, sir, she said, and linked arms with her friend as they trotted off across the parking lot. Those girls don't even look legal, Private Adam Barker scoffed as he tore the plastic wrap from his own sandwich. Johnson shrugged a lopsided grin on his leathery-skinned face. They was legal enough to flirt with me, which means I can look all I want. I don't think it works that way. Baker shook his head and took a bite of his food. They make good grub, though, he attested after swallowing his mouthful. Dijon and everything. Mine doesn't have Dijon, Private Stuart Kowalski pouted, peeling back the layers of bread to find just mayonnaise with his turkey, lettuce, and tomato. Baker shrugged. I guess I'm the favorite. I think this is Gouda cheese, too. I don't need no fancy cheese, Johnson replied, munching away. Where's my sandwich? Cursey asked good-naturedly as he assessed the group. Private Ben Mason held out half of his sub, but the sergeant shook his head, patting the man on the shoulder. No wonder the locals hate us, Cursey said. What with their teenage daughters making us sandwiches and booty shorts. They weren't teenagers, Johnson muttered. General didn't feed you? Corporal Brandon Brett asked, from his perch on the hood of one of the Humvees. I thought he'd have a personal chef in there. No, though I did have somebody bring me a nice hot coffee, Kersey replied, grinning at the envious looks on the men's faces. He approached the corporal, his second in command, and leaned against the side of the Humvee. We've got a new mission. Private Jack Edwards scoffed. Where are they sending us this time? Some other little crap ass two toothed town? Just another standard meet and greet with the enemy, nothing too strenuous, Kersey replied, ignoring his most ornery teammate. Beggars couldn't be choosers in times like this, but he was often annoyed with Edward's attitude. What kind of meet and greet? Baker asked thoughtfully. There's a horde of a few hundred heading up Highway 96 towards Hutchinson, the sergeant explained. We're going to head them off barricade the town, and take them all out. There were shrugs and nods of acceptance all around, though Edwards wrinkled his nose. I keep waiting for the day that we'll be making a real push against these fuckers, Private Martin Barry piped up as he finished off his sandwich. Feels like we're just sitting here waiting. A real push isn't really an option at this point, Kersey replied. We're too outnumbered, Each community needs to do their part, and eventually the higher-ups will figure out what the hell to do. In the meantime, we go where we're needed, and kill what's needed. Johnson cracked his knuckles. We're gonna need extra ammo. Kersey nodded. General approved 500 extra rounds, he said, nodding towards the armory. Johnson, Baker, you go load up a bin, and we'll split everything between two Humvees. It's 45 to Hutchinson, and I wanna leave us a good window of time to set up those barricades. The two privates headed off to the armory, Johnson with a spring in his step. Wanna make bets now on whether or not I can dust more of them zombies than you? He asked, and Baker shook his head. Civilians? Bretz asked as he slid from the hood of the vehicle. Evacuated, Kersey replied. It'll just be us. No problem, then. The corporal swiped his large hands together as if dusting them off. Piece of cake. He paused. I could go for some cake and a beer. Kersey laughed. Maybe we'll find an intact bar in Hutchinson. Chapter 3 Baker waved Mason forward until the sedan crunched up against the bumper of the hatchback in front of it. Kersey checked their handiwork the barrier across the highway complete. The cars were nestled tightly together to stop the zombies, but allow the soldiers to fire over them easily. Looks good, the sergeant said, clapping both men on the back as he headed over to the Humvees behind him. You go on and take your station with Kowalski on the overpass. He instructed Brett's, who finished gathering all of his ammunition. Take one of the vehicles. Sure thing, Sarge, the corporal replied, giving a quick salute, before jogging around the Humvee to get inside. Kersey checked his own guns and headed back to the lineup, where his men were spaced out across the line of cars. He pulled the receiver to his mouth. Sending up Bretts, see anything yet, Kowalski? Nothing yet, Sarge, came the prompt reply. We made good time. Damn right we did, Johnson bellowed, prompting a few chuckles from the lineup. Baker leaned on the hood of the sedan that was to be his firing range, crossing his arms. So the redneck here thinks he can outshoot all of us, he teased, inclining his head to Johnson. Bullshit. Edwards rolled his eyes. Just because you're trigger happy doesn't mean you'll hit anything. Johnson clapped a hand over his heart, as if he were offended. Oh Well, that's a mighty bold claim, buddy. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Money's not worth anything anymore, Edwards muttered. Baker raised an eyebrow. My flask says I get the most. How about your flask and the pack of cigarettes you've got in your boot that you don't want anyone to know about? Johnson replied with a lopsided grin. Baker blinked at him in shock. It's the apocalypse, kid. Johnson shook his head. You don't gotta be ashamed to smoke them if you got them. I know I won't be once they're mine, since I'm gonna be the one shooting the most zombies today. Edwards rolled his eyes. You two grunts are on, he said. Kersey shook his head in amusement and turned to Mason. You're not joining on this? The dark-skinned private shook his head. Got no flask, he said simply. Then you just gotta win, the sergeant replied. Mason smiled and lifted his radio to his mouth. I'm betting on Kowalski then. The three initiators groaned in unison as the sniper from the bridge above came back through the speaker. What are we betting on? That you take down the most zombies, Kersey replied into his own receiver. Mason's betting with nothing too, so you'd better do him proud. Up on the bridge, Kowalski barked a laugh and shook his head as Bretz pulled up behind him and stepped out of the Humvee. What's funny? The burly corporal asked. Kowalski shook his head. I need to shoot the most zombies or Mason's gonna owe the others more than he can pay back, he replied. Bretz laughed and leaned on the cement railing of the walkway. It was waist height, and he squinted at the dust rising from the distance. Kowalski raised his high-powered sniper rifle, peering through the scope at the horde cresting the horizon up the highway. He froze solid, lowering his gun for a moment and blinking in confusion. Bretz furrowed his brow as the private raised the scope again and took a deep breath. What is it? the corporal asked. How many zombies did Kersey say were supposed to be coming to Hutchinson? Kowalski asked, his voice hoarse, as if his throat had just gone completely dry. Bratz pursed his lips. Two to three hundred? Why? The private raised the rifle one more time, and then swore under his breath, before lowering it completely. Looks more like two to three thousand. Shit! The corporal cursed and lifted the radio to his mouth. Sarge, we've got a problem. Whoever fed the general this information was wrong. The horde is two or three thousand, not hundred. There was a pause, and he watched his comrades below freeze at the news. That's a pretty big margin for error on an estimate, Brett said, letting out a deep whoosh of breath. Kowalski shook his head. Doesn't really speak well for the local education system. Okay, Kersey came through the radio how much time do we have? The private raised his rifle and looked again. About ten, maybe fifteen minutes before they reached the barricade. Take out as many as you can. Try to trip them up, Kersey instructed. Kowalski nodded. Yes, sir, he replied, before letting go of his radio to line up a shot. Bretz, what do you see up there on bridge level? There's no way we'll be able to hold them all off down here. We'll need to fall back to somewhere. The sergeant asked, as his sniper began to fire, each crack taking out a corpse that would hopefully slow down the horde. The corporal paced across the bridge. There's a two-story motel just northeast of here, and it looks like a suburb behind that, he replied. Okay, good, Kersey said. We'll hold them off as long as we can here, and then we'll head to the motel. Sarge, we only have 500 rounds of ammo, Mason cut in. How are we supposed to take out more than five times that in zombies? Kersey readied his rifle. We're gonna burn them.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: Chapter 4 Brett's led Kowalski, Mason, and Barry onto the motel grounds. Everyone fanning out, and keeping their eyes sweeping for zombie activity. There was no gunfire from the highway yet, which meant that the horde wasn't too close. The sergeant had instructed to wait until the zombies were within 20 yards to maximize ammo. Bretts banged on the door to the motel office to draw any corpses from inside to the forefront. He waited a moment, and there was no noise from inside, so he flung the door open and crossed the threshold, gun at the ready. Clear! he announced, and approached the wall of keys behind the desk. A few were missing, but enough remained that they had a fighting chance. He emerged with a fistful and doled out the ground floor ones to Mason. Kowalski, you take the roof. Keep watch and draw the zombies once they're ready to come this way. Brett reiterated the sergeant's instructions, and the private saluted him and jogged off towards the stairs. Mason and I will start opening doors and searching rooms for anything flammable, Turn on the showers and faucets to try to make as much noise as possible to draw them into the rooms. Barry, you check all of the cars. See if you can find any flammable liquid or bottles to siphon some gasoline if there's any left in the tanks. They both nodded and rushed off, Brett's himself heading up to the second floor. He had keys for all but one of the rooms, so he started at one end and worked his way across. There were no signs of unlife in any of them but unfortunately he didn't find any oil or lighter fluid anywhere either. He did, however, find a chocolate bar on one of the side tables and happily gulped it down while he searched the last few rooms. He kicked in the door of the one he didn't have a key for and scoured it. He found a few lighters on the desk and pocketed them, though he didn't think the little bit of fluid inside them would do much. Corporal, Mason called from the bottom of the staircase. Brett's leaned over the railing. What did you find? One of these units looks like it belonged to the manager, he replied, holding up a key ring. I found the key to the maintenance room. Looks like this place has oil heating. The corporal grinned and hurried down the stairs, following Mason into the dark room at the far end of the strip. They approached the giant tank, and Bretts knocked on it in a few different places along the side. Sounds about half full, he declared, and clambered up on top. Go see if Barry found any containers. He took the large cap in his hand and twisted, pulling it as hard as he could and barely budging it. He gave it a few more hefty reefs with his triceps screaming and finally loosened it enough to twist it off. The pungent scent of heating oil hit his nostrils, just as the two privates bustled inside with three gas cans in tow. One of the trucks had these in the back. Fuck knows why they wouldn't have taken them. Barry said. Mason pulled a garden hose from the wall and drew his knife to cut it to an easier working length. So that we would find them, he said simply, and the trio froze at the sound of gunfire echoing outside. It was too far away to be Kowalski, which meant that the zombies had come close enough to the car barricade. Double time, Brett said, as Mason successfully cut a length of hose and passed an end up to him. The corporal fed it into the top of the tank, and then slid down as Barry gave the hose a hearty suck to start the flow. He had to suck twice and crimp the hose just before he got a mouthful of oil. Bretts held out an open gas can, and Barry fed the hose into it, the splatter of oil on plastic like music to their ears. As soon as it was full, Bretts transferred the hose to another can. Start at the top floor, furthest unit, douse as much as you can, and make sure to make a path from room to room and down the stairs, he said, and the private ran off. Mason took the next can and started at the furthest end of the ground floor. At the sound of Kowalski firing above, Brett took a deep breath. This needed to work. Chapter 5 Kersey readied his rifle still signaling for Baker, Johnson, and Edwards to hold their fire. They needed to wait until at least 20 yards had closed to make sure they were maximizing their ammunition. Aim, he cried as the horde closed in closer. They were moving at a quick pace, more of a power walk than a jog, but as they caught sight or scent of their new potential prey, they perked up. Fire, Kersey screamed and the quartet opened fire into the horde. Corpse after corpse dropped, rotted heads squelching on the asphalt, the ones behind not letting up as they pushed towards the hope of a meal. As the zombies trampled their fallen brethren and smacked into the line of cars, the soldiers continued to fire, headshot after headshot, as accurately as they could. Before long, The bodies piled up so much that the zombies had a decent ramp to trudge up and slip and slide over the tops of the cars. Fall back, Kersey instructed, and the line of soldiers began to walk backwards as they continued to shoot. They took their time, making every shot count, but moving backwards to draw the zombies towards them. Like pied pipers, the group led the horde of groaning corpses up the ramp towards the motel. As soon as they were in Kowalski's view, he waited patiently for the zombies to enter his field of vision. He fired off a shot, taking one corpse down, and on that cue, Kersey and his team bolted for the stairway of the motel. They aimed at the horde, firing as accurately as they could to continue to drop zombies but draw them closer to the building. Kowalski made use of his bullets picking off stragglers hoping to keep the horde to their mission of the meal in the building. Once the zombies reached the grounds, Kersey and his team barreled inside, hooting and hollering as they ran through the hallway to the emergency exit out the back. Meanwhile, Bretts, Mason, and Barry made as much noise as they could in the upper level to draw the corpses upstairs. You guys need to hurry up, Kowalski came through the radio. It's just a sea of bodies down there, and some of them are heading around the building. Get off the roof and set the fire, Kersey's voice came back. Brett's, you guys get out of there now. Brett's fired into the shoulder-to-shoulder shuffle of zombies, approaching them in the hallway, guarding the middle unit on the back side of the top floor. Go, he motioned behind him into the unit. Their escape route, was a balcony where Barry had parked one of the Humvees below for them to jump down onto. The two privates hurried inside, and he backed into the unit, closing and locking the door behind them. They peered down and saw that zombies were already milling about down there. Fucking corpses are way too close for comfort, Brett's muttered and slung his rifle over his shoulder. I'll go down first and start trying to clear the way. Mason, jump down to help me. And Barry, when you get down, we'll cover you while you get into the driver's seat. The other two nodded, and he leapt over the railing, taking pause on the other side to loosen his legs and then drop to the vehicle below. He immediately took a knee and began to fire on the zombies closest to him, dropping as many as he could. There was a loud thunk as Mason hit the roof next to him and knelt at his back, firing at the other side. When there was no thunk signifying Barry's descent, Bretz looked up at the ashen face of his teammate. Come on, man, hurry up, he bellowed. Kowalski shot the few zombies in his path upon hitting the asphalt and pulled out the Molotov cocktail that Mason had given him. He chucked it through the open window on the first floor. There was a smash and a whoosh and then inhuman screams, and that was good enough for him he took off as fast as he could into the suburbia behind the motel to meet up with Kersey and the others. Barry, fucking jump! Bretz cried, and finally, the private let out a fearful scream and leapt over the railing of the balcony. His boot slipped on the side of the Humvee, and he went face first into the roof, his body flopping down onto the asphalt, just a hair too quickly for Bretz or Mason to be able to grab him. Barry! Mason screamed and fired into the zombies, but they already had his legs. The private shrieked for help, his cries coming out in painful wails. But Bretz and Mason knew it was too late. The zombies made quick work of him, gravitating towards his flopping form. The soldiers regretfully had to take advantage of the distraction and hop down to get into the vehicle. Bretz took the wheel, and muttered curses under his breath as he backed over as many zombies as he could, before squealing the tires and heading off down the side street towards the suburb. They skidded to a stop in the middle of the street, where Kersey, Baker, and Kowalski were standing on the sidewalk to meet them. The others are scouring the houses for something to fight with, the sergeant explained as his somber-faced teammates exited their vehicle. Where's Barry? Brett shook his head. He's gone. Kersey nodded and gave Mason's shoulder a reassuring squeeze, but there was no time to mourn. How many do you think we took out back there? he asked. Seven, maybe eight hundred, Brett replied. The rest are avoiding the blaze and heading this way. So about seventeen hundred to go, then? Kowalski replied and cocked his gun for effect. Groans echoed towards them and they all took aim into the oncoming horde, only a little smaller and not much less intimidating than before. They walked backwards as they fired. I'm out, Sarge, Mason cried, and Kersey glanced over his shoulder at the duplex behind them. Get in there, try to find anything to use as a weapon, he instructed, and Baker slung his empty rifle over his back and followed him. They tore through the house, eventually ending up in the kitchen. Mason flung open a broom closet and kicked at the heads of a few brooms, so they had a few wooden staffs to use. Baker opened up one of the drawers and found a junk drawer snatching up a roll of duct tape. Give me one of those, he demanded as he held out his hand, and Mason handed it over. Baker grabbed one of the butcher knives from the knife block and duct taped the handle to the wood, creating a makeshift spear. Mason raised an eyebrow. Not bad, he said, but there was no time for an answer, as the rest of the team backed into the front of the house. Kersey closed and locked the door, and Brett's helped him move a cabinet in front of it. What do we have, boys? the sergeant called, and Baker and Mason emerged with three broom spears and a bottle of scotch. Holy Christ, is that Delmore? Brett's gawked, and reached for the bottle. Before he could take it, however, Kersey snatched it out of Baker's hand and tore a strip from a nearby curtain, stuffing it inside to make another Molotov. Hell of a waste of good whiskey, Baker muttered as he passed off one of the spears to Brett's. The door began to give under the weight of the pressing horde, and the group took defensive positions, ready to take out as many as they could before vacating through the back of the house. Do what you can, but keep falling back, Kersey instructed. Molotov firmly in hand. We'll back out through that sliding door and burn this place too. There was a sharp snap as the door gave way, and the soldiers yelled as they stabbed as many skulls as they could, all the while backing into the kitchen. Kersey threw open the sliding door and held it, waiting for the three spear-wielding soldiers to be out before chucking the Molotov inside. He spotted a large in-ground pool in the neighboring yard, and led the team over there as flaming zombies staggered out of the house. Others swarmed the back fence, and it didn't take long for it to give way underneath the pressing monsters. The team used their spears and some of the long pool-cleaning nets to knock clumsy zombies into the pool as they approached, trapping them in the pit. Gone swimming, Kowalski cried as he kicked one of the corpses into the deep end. The disoriented zombies attempted to get out, but the pit quickly became a writhing pile of pissed off corpses. Head to the front, Kersey called out, as the horde began to overrun the backyard, and the team dropped the pool tools, sprinting with guns bouncing on their backs and spears in hand, around the second house to the cul-de-sac. As they burst out onto the street, they froze at the sound of a throaty engine revving. Out of the way, boys, Johnson came through their radios, and the team dove to the side as a huge truck screamed past them. He'd found a big farm truck and outfitted the grill with hunks of sharp wood and rebar to make a zombie-killing machine. Johnson drove into the backyard, skirting the pool to do donuts in the backyard, crunching and stabbing corpses, all the while hooting with glee. Chapter Six Edwards came out of the back door of one of the houses on the edge of the neighborhood and spotted a gas station on the dirt road running behind. He crept through the backyard, keeping low along the bushes, and peered out at the parking lot. There was a heating oil truck there, and he checked his rifle, peering around before making a mad dash across the grass. He peeked in through the passenger side door, but there were no keys inside. He darted across to the gas station where he found the front door completely shattered. He ducked through the jagged doorframe and did a quick sweep of the store, finding it empty. He grabbed a chocolate bar from a display case on the way behind the counter, stuffing the candy into his mouth as he searched. A drawer beneath the register housed a key ring, and he held it up, the same logo from the truck on the fob. Edwards grabbed a few packs of cigarettes from the wall behind him, and stuffed the side pockets of his pants. He snatched the rest of the packaged pepperettes from the counter and shoved them in beside the cigarette packs before ducking back out the front door. He barely registered the groans before something slammed into his side. He hit the asphalt hard and whipped around and fired, taking a zombie right between the eyes. As it fell, another tripped over it, diving into his abdomen before he could react. He screamed as pain exploded in his stomach, the zombie latching and tearing right through his shirt into his flesh. He dropped his gun and grabbed the corpse's head, throwing it to the side and straddling it, punching it repeatedly in the face. His blood boiled and rage blackened the edges of his vision as he pounded the zombie's head into mush, the body going limp and his fists connecting with wet gobs of rotted flesh. Edwards finally stopped. Falling back onto his ass. Motherfucker! he hissed as he peeled up his shirt, examining the jagged bite wound. Motherfucker! he almost put his head in his hands, but then remembered that his fists were full of pungent gray matter. He took in a deep, ragged breath and got to his feet, reclaiming his rifle and slinging it over his back. He stepped back into the gas station and headed for the washroom. He managed to get himself as clean as he could, and removed his shirt, using it to mop up his wound with clenched teeth. He tore into a few bandage packages in the small travel section, and gauzed and taped up the wound as best he could. There was a wall of knockoff sports t-shirts along the far wall, and he pulled down a Royals t-shirt, struggling into it to conceal his wound. This time, as he exited the gas station, He flicked his eyes everywhere, scrambling into the driver's seat. He started up the truck and it roared to life with almost a full tank of gas. At least something is going right today, he muttered, and tore open one of the pepperettes. It tasted like ash in his mouth, and he wiped at the sweat on his brow. It wouldn't be long before the fever took hold. Edwards lifted his radio to his mouth. Sarge, come in, he said. Edwards, what have you got? Cursey replied, with a fair bit of noise in the background. It was almost like a dull roar. Not zombies, but an engine, maybe. I found a heating oil truck, he replied as he put the truck into gear and eased out of the parking lot. There's a shallow lake to the northeast of the suburb. I'm gonna go spray it down with the hose. If you can lure the zombies into the lake, we can burn them all up in one fell swoop. 10-4, Cursey replied. You get started, we'll meet you there. Edwards nodded and increased his acceleration. Ten four. He swallowed hard and bit down defiantly on another piece of pepperette. He was determined to enjoy it. Chapter 7 Johnson, come back, Kersey said into his radio, and the big truck paused in its zombie slaying a few rotted heads affixed to the spikes as it idled. Yes, sir, Johnson replied, voice full of glee. Kersey couldn't help but smile a little. Edwards is filling the lake with heating oil. We're going to lure the zombies over there. You pick off any stragglers left behind. 10 four, Johnson replied, and drove back to the street, heading back towards the bridge to give them room to make noise to lure the horde. Baker and Mason emerged from one of the houses, each armed with pots and pans. They had their spears tied to their backs in their rifle slings. Bretz, Kowalski, and Kersey had a bit of ammo left, and they fired into the horde to grab their attention. The privates smashed their kitchen utensils together, causing loud clangs to echo through the air, and the zombies began to pour onto the street. Once again, the pied pipers, the quartet led the horde to the lake. Edward sat atop the truck on the far side, giving them a thumbs up to signify that he was finished filling the lake. The whole area stank of flammable fluid. Circle the lake, Kersey instructed the others as he leapt into a rowboat at the dock. He rowed out a few feet and then fired into the horde, drawing them towards his position. The zombies began to wade into the stagnant water, groaning and snapping as he rowed out of reach once again. The sergeant alternated rowing backwards and firing, to keep the zombies' attention on him, keep the horde pushing into the deadly water. When he was about two-thirds across, he finally saw the back of the horde stagger into the water, and hope leapt in his chest. But two zombies managed to snag one side of the rowboat. He fired and hit one in the head, and the other resulted in a dull click. Fuck, he muttered, and began smashing skulls with the butt of the rifle. There were too many of them. They were overtaking the boat, and he knew if he didn't bail now, they'd surround it, and he'd have no chance. Kersey slung the rifle over his back and dove off of the back of the boat, narrowly missing grasping hands, as he kicked as hard as he could. Swimming in combat boots and fatigues wasn't ideal, but he managed to evade snapping jaws and gripping claws, making it to the far side of the lake. As soon as Mason and Kowalski pulled Kersey from the water, Bratz fired a flare into the lake, and it went up in a whoosh of flames. The sergeant scrambled back as far as he could, considering he was covered in oil, and they watched the blaze, the screams of the zombies like music to their ears. That was one hell of a plan, Sarge, Kowalski said as he helped his superior to his feet. Kersey shook his head. This was all Edwards, he huffed, motioning up to the soldier on top of the oil truck. What happened to your shirt, man? Mason raised an eyebrow. Edward scoffed at the attention that was suddenly on him. I got oil on mine and found this one in the truck. This isn't a fashion show, it's the apocalypse, he snapped, and turned to slide down the far side of the vehicle. Okay, then. Mason put his hands up, palms out in surrender. All right, Kersey cut in. We need to regroup, head back into the neighborhood, and take out any stragglers that didn't make it into the lake. Edwards hopped back into the driver's seat of the heating truck and started it up. Get on in, Sarge. Bratz opened the passenger door. Kersey shook his head. No, I don't want to choke anyone out, he replied, wringing some fragrant water from his shirt for effect. We'll take the top. He and the others climbed up onto the tank, straddling it as Edwards eased the truck forward. It didn't take long for them to reach one of the cul-de-sacs where Johnson waited stabbing the skulls of the zombies he'd gored on the front of the truck but not killed. Go for a dip, Sarge? He asked with a grin, as Kersey climbed down the ladder on the back of the truck. Yep, and I need a fucking shower, the sergeant replied. I want you all to do a sweep of the area, make sure every last zombie is gone. Whoever runs back by that pool, get the barbecue fire pit going. I'm gonna grab a shower. He didn't wait for a reply before heading into the nearest house to utilize their facilities. Chapter Eight Kersey headed into the town hall, clad in beige slacks and a polo shirt. The secretary raised an eyebrow at him, and he shot her a thousand-watt smile. I could use a fresh set of fatigues, he said. She smirked. I hope your old ones didn't get covered in burning shit, she asked. He laughed. No, heating oil, he replied casually. We burned a lake this time. Slightly less disgusting, she declared and nodded. I'll have some brought in for you. Thanks, Kersey replied, and headed into the general's office. A middle-aged local stood inside, looking as if he'd just risen from the seat at the desk. Sergeant, the general greeted. Welcome back. This is Dale, the scout that gave us our intel for your mission. Kersey snarled and reeled back, smashing his fist into the man's face. The general gaped at him as he twisted the man's shirt in his hand. One of my men is dead because of your incompetence, he growled. If I see you again, I'm gonna drag you to the front lines and feed you to the horde, understand? His eyes flashed with menace, and Dale nodded jerkily, moaning low in his throat. Kersey released him, and he staggered away, scurrying out the door with his tail between his legs. What the fuck happened, John? Stevens asked, and Kersey fell into a chair with an exhausted grunt. It wasn't a few hundred, he said, and took a deep breath. It was a few thousand. The general pursed his lips and folded his arms in front of him on his desk. So 500 rounds We're not near enough, Kersey finished for him. But we managed. We got them all, but it took a lot. And we lost Barry. Steven sighed. I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry that fucker couldn't count, Kersey muttered. I don't want to assume he had malicious intent, the general said carefully. But we seem to have worn out our welcome here. I continue to hear reports from our men and the locals alike about clashing between them. It's worrisome. You're fucking right, It's worrisome. Kersey snapped. If they're disgruntled enough that they're sending us to our deaths, then we have a problem. It's not our biggest problem, however, Stevens replied with a sigh. The frontline battles are going well, and we're slowly stemming the tide, but ammunition is running dangerously low. We won't be able to hold if one of the big cities completely empties out and heads our way. I haven't heard anything official, but logic would dictate that a full-scale offensive is going to happen soon especially with the situation on the front lines. My best guess would be northwest of here. Texas is ground zero, so it's out of the question. The east coast is way too populated, Kersey mused, and the southwest, unlikely with the extreme temperatures. The general nodded. Exactly, so we need to figure out a way to move 250,000 troops northwest, so we're ready when the order comes down. Also, that will solve the problem of the locals being irritated with our presence. Yeah, let's see how happy they are when we aren't here to protect them, Kersey muttered, and scrubbed his hands down his face. So with the railroad tracks running through town, I'm thinking trains might be the best way to go, Stephen said, raising an eyebrow. Kersey nodded. That's a good idea, he agreed. But nobody knows the first thing about trains, on my team at least. The general produced a manila folder and slid it across the desk. Scrawled across the top was the name William Collins. Train employment records, Stevens explained as Kersey opened the folder. He was suspended from his rail yard job in Kansas City last week. Best we can tell, he went home to lacrosse right before the outbreak. Meaning he has the knowledge, and there's a better chance that he's alive if he got out of Kansas City, Kersey mused. Once we extract him, where are we going to get a train? It would be suicide to go into Kansas City. Topeka, the general replied, and swiveled in his chair to motion to the map on the wall behind him. You recruit him, get back to me, and we'll mobilize and get ready. The sergeant nodded. I'll see what we can find, sir. Pick up some satellite communication on your way out, Stevens instructed. That way we can keep in contact. Kersey stood up and saluted him. Yes, sir. Chapter 9 You're saying that out of the entire camp, nobody knows how to drive a fucking train? Johnson asked from the back seat. Nobody? Nobody experienced enough to do it well in a pinch, Kersey replied. I'm sure we could figure it out if we tried, but without YouTube, it would take too long and we'll likely be facing a lot of opposition in Topeka. So we need somebody that we can just get in there, make sure the train is in working order, and quickly get us out again. Makes sense, Edwards agreed. It's not like trains are a military vehicle. Maybe they should have been just for times like this, Johnson countered. Cursey shook his head. I don't think anyone really saw the zombie apocalypse coming. Oh Come on, man, Johnson rolled his eyes. Look at all the movies, books, shows. The government had to have been prepared for at least one of those scenarios, you don't think? Edwards shrugged. With the way all of this unfolded, I don't think they really were, or at least it didn't go according to plan. I think we're doing the best we can in a shit situation, Brett put in from the passenger seat. Even if the government did have a plan beforehand, it's not like they would know where such a thing would crop up, or how fast it would spread, or why especially since this appeared to be a bioterrorism attack, as opposed to just a random experiment or outbreak gone wrong. Kersey nodded. Agreed. The government's plan for any apocalypse is for us, the military, to contain it, really. And that's what we're trying to do. Wonder what the president is up to right now, Johnson mused. Probably sipping champagne and eating expensive cheese in a bunker somewhere, Edward scoffed. They all shared a chuckle. La Crosse, Kansas, Bretts read the sign as they rolled into the small town. Population 1,300, home to the world-famous Barbed Wire Museum. Edwards barked a laugh. Enough barbed wire to fill a whole museum? Damn straight, Johnson piped up beside him. Over 2,000 kinds of wire in that museum, shit's a big part of our history. Edwards scoffed and brushed a hand across his forehead. You're looking a little sweaty there, bud. Johnson said, raising an eyebrow. You okay? Meat sweats, his companion muttered, and threw an empty pepperette wrapper at the redneck. Johnson flicked it back at him. Well, stop it, you're gonna start stinking us up back here. We can't all smell like lavender and vanilla, huh, Sarge? Edwards changed the subject. Kersey shook his head with a laugh as he pulled the SUV to a stop on the side of the main street. Beggars can't be choosers he replied with a shrug. I was happy to smell like girly shampoo, as opposed to rotten flesh and heating oil. The soldiers shared a chuckle as they exited the vehicle, Kowalski pulling in behind them. He, Mason, and Baker exited the rear SUV, and the soldiers grouped together on the sidewalk. Okay, we split up and comb the town for Collins, Kersey instructed. Pair up. Edwards, you're with me. He waved the private forward and they wandered up the sidewalk. Hook me up with one of them pepperettes, he prompted, and Edward snorted, pulling out his second last one for the sergeant. You only want me for my meat, he said under his breath, feigning offense. An older woman bustled out of one of the doors, a red-faced man rushing after her as if trying to stop her. Get out of here, you're not welcome here, she shrieked and spit the glob landing on Kersey's surprised cheek. Ma'am, I assure you, we don't need no assurances, she screamed. And the man behind her grabbed her arm, trying to pull her back inside. Y'all killed my baby boy, we don't want you here. Kersey put his hands up, palms out. Ma'am, murderers, she squealed. And the man finally succeeded in dragging her back to the house. Murderers, he would have gotten better, but you didn't listen. He wasn't gonna turn into one of those things. I knew he'd get better. Listen, sir, Cursey began. But the man disappeared into the house behind the crying woman, slamming and locking the door behind him. Edwards let out a low whistle. Jesus. I suppose that sets the tone for our welcome party, Cursey said. They continued to walk and found a few men loitering on a front porch. Excuse me, sirs. Would you happen to know a man named William Collins? Who's asking? One of the men drawled and took a deep drag from his pipe. Edward squared his shoulders. Who do you think? It's a matter of national security, Kersey replied gently. It's imperative that we find him for the future of the war. The man barked a laugh and horked a yellow glob of snot onto the sidewalk. Collins is where he always is, at the bar he inclined his head across the street. If he's gonna be helping the future of the war, though, I think we're all fucked. The men shared a sharp cackle, and Kersey nodded his thanks, though his brow furrowed in worry. He and Edwards wandered across the street and pushed open the door to the dingy bar. There were three men sitting at the bar, a middle-aged woman wiping glasses behind it and eyeing them warily. We're looking for William Collins, Kersey declared. The men snickered, and the middle one glanced over his shoulder. You here to kill more of the townsfolk? He drawled, and then turned back to his beer. At least they're using your full name, William. The one to the left cackled, and bumped the first man with his elbow. Edwards pushed past Kersey, and stalked right up to the middle-seated man. Look, asshole, we were told you know how to run trains. He cracked his knuckles. So can you or not? Ha, huh. the man didn't even look at him. Why don't you ask your sister, since I ran a good train on her last night? You motherfucker, Edwards snarled. The man threw up a hand. Motherfucker, sisterfucker. to you I guess that's the same person, he said. And his two friends continued to laugh at the red-faced private. Edwards took a swing, but the man dodged, returning a punch to the private's gut. Kersey grabbed his comrade by the arm and shoved him towards the door. Wait outside, he instructed, and the private hissed in pain, staggering out onto the sidewalk to catch his breath. Are you William Collins? The man rolled his eyes. Name's Bill, Princess. Listen, Bill, we need your help, Kersey said firmly, keeping his hands at his sides so as to be non-threatening. The military is trying to get out of here so that we can get out of your hair and stop drawing zombies out of the major cities. We have too many troops, so we're thinking a train from Topeka is the way to go. But we need you to take us. Bill shook his head and sneered. That's stupid. North Platte has the largest rail yard in the country, and it's less populated than Topeka. Are all you army meatheads so dumb? There was less venom in his voice this time, however. Look, This whole apocalypse thing is taking everyone for a ride. It's tough on everyone, Kersey said. We're all just trying to do our best to save humanity. It's unfortunate that some of the townsfolk had to die, but our job is to protect people, and if there are infected, then we have to take them down to save the people that are still healthy and alive. Bill nodded and took a deep gulp from his beer. I know, he admitted. It's just hard watching our loved ones go down, you know? Yeah, I know. Cursey replied, anger and helplessness overtaking him at the feeling of losing Barry. Bill sighed. So, how many troops? He paused, noting blood on his knuckles where he'd punched Edwards, and his brow furrowed. Did you cut yourself? the sergeant wondered. Bill shook his head. I didn't hit him that hard. Cursey drew his bottom lip between his teeth in confusion for a moment, and then a light bulb went off in his head the new shirt, the excessive sweating, the way Edwards had seemed in so much pain from a simple gut punch. Before he could vocalize his thoughts, gunshots cracked through the air outside. The sergeant barreled out the door, the other barflies hot on his heels, and saw his men pinned down behind vehicles on the far side of the road. There was a cluster of locals in the middle of the street, firing at them, with Edwards on the ground as a hostage. Kowalski aimed over the hood of a sedan, but Kersey bellowed, stand down, and his men froze. The ringleader of the locals whipped around to face him, and it was the woman who had spit in his face. Y'all killed my son, she screamed. Y'all are gonna pay. Kersey put his hands up in surrender. Ma'am, please, that man, she simply shrieked and fired in his direction. He grabbed Bill around the waist and flung them both back into the door of the bar. Men scattered left and right, diving behind cars. Can you negotiate with them? Kersey asked Bill as they sat up from the scuffed wood floor. Bill sighed. This isn't how I wanted to spend my fucking afternoon, he muttered, but got to his feet and brushed off his pants. He emerged into the doorway, hands held up in front of him, Miss Decker, this isn't the way to solve this, come on, he called. And she wavered when she looked at him. Bill, she said, voice coming out in a strangled sob, her gun shaking. They killed my son, my boy. I know, and we all miss Charlie, Bill replied, taking a step forward. But this ain't the way to bring him back, and that soldier, he's, as if on cue, a reanimated Edwards leapt up and snarled, latching on to one of the men's necks. Ms. Decker fired in Bill's direction, causing him to leap to the right, and the group tore Edwards from his prey and shoved him towards the bar, continuing to fire at the soldiers across the street. The zombie dove towards Bill, who kicked up with his boot to try to keep the snapping jaw away from him, and Kersey flew out of the front door of the bar, barreling into his reanimated comrade. He grunted as he held the zombie by the throat, and Bill rolled towards them, pulling his own handgun to blow Edward's brains all over the sidewalk. Kersey rose up onto his knees as their attackers disappeared around a corner down the street, having been shooting all the while to keep everyone else pinned down. As soon as they were gone, Brett and Kowalski led the charge across the street. Sarge, Brett cried, question in his wide eyes. Kersey nodded as he got to his feet. I'm fine, he said. How did Edwards, Kowalski trailed off, gazing down in horror at his dead teammate. He must have gotten bit when he picked up the oil truck, the sergeant said, and then held his hand out to Bill to help him to his feet. Thank you. Thanks right back, I suppose, Bill replied sheepishly. Kersey turned to his team. We need to find those people, he said firmly. Otherwise, it'll be an outbreak in this town. Why can't you just call it in? Bill's brow furrowed. Because if we call it in, Cursey replied with a shake of his head. The standing orders are to firebomb the whole town to make sure no infected escape. Bill's face paled. Okay, let's go find the Deckers. Chapter 10 Cursey led the group through town following a trail of blood down the alley the Decker family had disappeared into. As they came around a corner, there was a groan as a civilian reanimated from a pool of crimson on the asphalt. Kersey quickly dispatched it with a bullet to the head, just as screams erupted from the two-story building in front of them. The team approached the front door, but a hail of bullets peppered it, causing them all to duck as windows exploded out into the street. The sergeant peeked up over one of the windowsills to see a small restaurant, the patrons on the floor with their hands over their heads. Two of the Decker boys struggled to keep their zombified family member at bay, while Miss Decker waved her gun around wildly, shrieking at the restaurant goers to stay down. Nobody's touching my boy, she screamed, eyes aflame. Nobody's touching any of my boys ever again. Crazy bitch. Bretz muttered and shook his head as Cursey ducked back down. Mason, Baker, get up to the second floor. See if you can find a way in. The sergeant instructed. Bill, I'm going to need you to go in and distract them, try to talk them down. Bill sighed and scratched the back of his head. Here's hoping they're less likely to shoot my balls off as opposed to yours, he replied. Mason and Baker skirted the building, finding a back staircase to one of the upper apartments. The door was unlocked, and Baker gave Kowalski a thumbs up before the sniper turned and motioned to Bill and Kersey. Here goes, Bill said, taking a deep breath as he approached the front door to the restaurant. I'm coming in, Miss Decker, don't shoot me, he announced, and pushed the now decrepit door in. What do you want, Bill? She shrieked. You brown-nosing son of a bitch, I saw you cozying up with them military fuckers. I'm not cozying up or brown nosing, Miss Decker, he replied quickly. But we're gonna have to cooperate with them in the long run. If you don't turn Leroy over, then they're gonna firebomb the whole town. They're the reason this happened in the first place, she cried, tears streaming down her red face in angry rivulets. They're the ones with the infected people. They should be fucking firebombed. They killed my boy, and I ain't letting them have another. I know, Miss Decker, it was their soldier that bit Leroy. Bill said gently. The soldier became a zombie and he attacked me, and his own men had to put him down. Because he wasn't himself anymore, you understand? Once you're dead, you're dead. Charlie's dead. Leroy's dead. No! She screamed and pointed her gun at him. Baker and Mason burst from the back kitchen, firing on the family. One bullet took Mama Decker, and one took out one of the brothers holding Leroy. He immediately turned and took a chunk out of his living brother, and then turned to scream at Bill. He drew his gun and fired on instinct, taking out Leroy and his brother in four shots. Everyone was frozen, waiting for somebody to move or fire or attack. But the dust settled, and the Decker family was completely down. Kersey, Bretz, and Kowalski burst in, sweeping the area. The customers clustered off to the side watched fearfully as the soldiers checked the building. Kowalski noticed one of the customers cradling a bleeding arm, and he clenched his jaw. Sarge? Kersey approached and looked down at the shaking man with empathy in his eyes. Did you get bitten, sir? He asked gently. The man nodded jerkily, and the woman clutching his other arm let out a deep wail of sorrow. Please, she sobbed. I'm sorry, truly I am, Kersey said softly, and fell into a squat in front of the couple. But there's no cure, and it's a terrible way to die. We've got to take care of you, or the whole town is in danger. The man nodded, pulling the woman against him. She buried her head into his neck, murmuring incoherent things into his skin. It's okay, he said shakily. It's okay, I'm not going to get better, and I don't want to hurt you. Dad! A young girl cried from behind him, and he pulled her against him as well. Will you? He swallowed hard and looked up at Kercy. Will you take me out of town so they don't have to see? The sergeant nodded and stood, turning to his team so that the man could say his goodbyes. Okay, he said, as the soldiers grouped around him with Bill in tow. We need to get Bill to La Crosse. Once we get back to the vehicles, I'll radio General Stevens and let him know what's going on. Bill's gaze softened as the bitten man approached the group. How you holding up, Tim? Let's just go, Tim replied hoarsely, and Kersey nodded, leading the group from the restaurant that was now splattered in a bloodbath. Chapter 11 Kowalski drove the lead SUV, with Kersey in the passenger seat. Mason and Tim were somber in the back seat, both staring out their own windows. Bretts followed behind, with Bill, Baker, and Johnson in tow. This is Sergeant Kersey for General Stevens, Kersey said into the satellite phone, and a woman on the other end confirmed his connection. There was a click, and then Stevens asked, John, how did it go? We found Bill, Kersey replied tersely, taking a deep breath. That's great news, the general said. Are you heading for Topeka now? Negative, the sergeant replied. Bill suggested North Platte because it's the biggest rail yard in the country, and it has a lower population than Topeka. He's already proven to be extremely helpful. Stevens paused. Okay, that's good foresight. Is there something else, John? Cursey rubbed the bridge of his nose with a deep sigh. We lost Edwards. He slammed his fist down on his thigh. He'd gotten bit back on our last mission and didn't tell anyone. He turned and caused a lot of trouble. I see, Stevens replied carefully. I'm sorry you lost your teammate, Sergeant, but forgive me for asking, how bad was this trouble? It's contained, Cursey assured him. We left no infected in La Crosse. Good, the general replied, though his tone wasn't unkind. You've done us a great service today, sergeant. Don't say that until we're all safely on the train, Cursey countered. Stevens chuckled, though there wasn't much humor there. 10-4, sergeant, we'll get ready to move. 10-4, Cursey ended the call and pocketed the phone, resting his head against his seat and closing his eyes. There, Tim said suddenly. And his traveling companions perked up. Over there, he said, and they looked to where he was motioning, a beautiful big tree in the middle of a farm field. You heard the man, Cursey said quietly, and Kowalski turned down the dirt farm entrance. They parked about twenty yards away from the tree, and everyone got out of their vehicles. Bill looked at Cursey and stepped up next to Tim, and the sergeant nodded his acceptance of the unspoken question the duo wandered towards the tree, Cursey following at a respectable distance with his gun drawn, just in case of any trouble. I'm sorry, bud, Bill said. Tim shook his head. It's not so bad. At least this way I know I won't become one of those creatures. The last thing I would want is to hurt my family and friends, all because I was selfish. Bill swallowed hard, admiring the man's bravery. Tim sank to his knees in front of the tree and began to pray. His executioner pursed his lips and cocked his gun, standing behind him, hand shaking as he pointed it at the back of Tim's head. The man whispered a tearful Amen and then Bill pulled the trigger. His shoulders slumped with the body of the man who'd sacrificed himself for Lacrosse, the town that Bill himself had grown up in. It maybe wasn't the best place to live what with the shitty attitudes most of the residents had. But it was home, and Tim had given his life to save it. Bill didn't know if he would have done the same thing in that position. The least he could do now was help these men finish their mission. Kersey waited for him to approach, and they slowly walked back to the SUVs in silence. The soldiers waited in a semicircle, hands folded in front of them, all wearing somber expressions of respect. He was a good man, Bill said. A better man than me, and that's all I want to say about it. There were murmurs and nods all around. Before we move out, Cursey said, clearing his throat. I want to make something abundantly fucking clear. He lifted his chin, eyes hard as diamonds. As much as I am mourning Edwards, what he did was unacceptable. If any of y'all are bit, you fucking tell me. You don't put us, the mission, and everyone around you in danger. That is an order, no fucking exceptions. Do you understand me? There was a series of firm yes-sirs, and Cursey turned to Bill, who was scratching the back of his head. That goes for you too, the sergeant said, though gentler. Except you're just not allowed to get bit. We need you to do your job. Let us do ours and protect you. Yes, sir, he replied, giving a sloppy salute and it seemed to diffuse the tension, a ripple of chuckles running through the group. I'm driving, Kersey said to Kowalski, clapping him on the back, and the private nodded. I kinda feel bad, Bill said, as he climbed up into the seat that Tim had vacated. The last thing I said to Edwards before he died was to tell him I fucked his sister and that he was inbred. Both Mason and Kowalski bit back Snickers, and Kersey just smiled shaking his head as he took the driver's seat. He fought for this country, the sergeant mused, but he could really be a dick sometimes. Kowalski couldn't help but bark a laugh at that. Amen. Chapter 12 The SUV stopped at a gas station and rest stop just south of North Platte. After a quick sweep of the area, Kersey suggested they grab some refreshments and loosen up their limbs for the likely trouble ahead. He grabbed a map of the area from the mostly looted convenience store and spread it out on a picnic table off to the side of the pump area. This is the rail yard, Bill pointed to the northwest end of town. Johnson whistled low at the size of it. You weren't kidding about it being the biggest. No, I wasn't, Bill replied. There are only two bridges going into town over the South Platte River. Kersey continued, pointing to the two. One is the Highway 83, and the other is Buffalo Bill Road. If we take Buffalo Bill Road, we can stick to the outskirts of town and follow the outermost roads around to the rail yard, Johnson pointed out through a mouthful of chips. Kersey dodged flying crumbs and nodded. That's what I was thinking. But there's a superstore on the 83. Bratz cut in as he unscrewed the cap on a bottle of water. Shouldn't we try to find some supplies to bring with us? There are lots of small towns along the way that would be much safer for that, Bill said quietly, and the sergeant nodded. Bill's right. We can't risk stopping for supplies here, he said. Plus, we don't really have all that much room. Two SUVs packed to the tits with guns. It's not like filling the little bit of extra space will make a big dent in supply stock. Better to stop in a town where we can load directly onto the train. So what are we looking for, train-wise? Kowalski asked. Kersey shrugged. That, unfortunately, is going to be a know-it-when-we-see-it kind of affair. Bill is the expert, but I do know we'll need an engine car to haul what we need. Off the top of my head, I think three, maybe four box cars should get the job done. Our mission is to clear the path for the others to follow, so we'll let them worry about the logistics of finding enough box cars. Sounds about right, Bill replied, shaking his head. That will make it a lot easier on the fuel and make us a lot more nimble. It's a lot easier to stop three cars than 300. Kersey nodded in agreement. Okay, looks like we have a game plan, he said with an upbeat attitude. So when we get to the rail yard, we're going to let Bill lead us to where he needs to be. We're operating under his orders for what he needs us to do to assist in putting a working train together. First and foremost, though, is his safety as he does so. We form an effective perimeter of him at all times, understood? There were yes sirs all around, and then Baker leaned over, motioning to their route across the bridge. What's over here anyway, he asked. What can we expect in the way of population density? Suburbs, Bill replied. Hopefully deserted suburbs, Mason put in, shaking his head as he tore into a bag of pork rinds. He turned to Johnson Hey, you know, we never settled who killed the most zombies last mission, he said. Johnson smirked. I took down a lot of them fuckers, he declared proudly. Kowalski was the only one shooting the entire time, though, Mason replied with a glint in his eye. The sniper nonchalantly breathed on his nails and shined them on his shirt, assuming a victory pose. I think y'all are forgetting whose idea it was to lure almost 2,000 zombies into the lake of oil. Cursey put in. They all nodded, and Mason pulled a flask from his pocket. Johnson gaped. I thought you didn't carry booze on you. I traded it for when we got back to base, Mason replied with a shrug. Seemed like the kind of thing we should just have on us, in case we ever need a drink or to set a fire. There were chuckles all around, and the men produced their flasks, toasting to Edwards for a job well done. Chapter 13 So I gotta ask, Mason turned to Bill as they drove parallel to the river to reach Buffalo Bill Avenue. They said you got let go just before the outbreak. What was it that you did? Bill rolled his eyes. Stupid shit, stupid shit that saved your life, Kowalski cut in. Come on, what was it, drinking and conducting? Mason pressed. Bill scoffed. No, they're pretty harsh on that, so we save our drinking for the off hours, he replied. Well, I guess I may as well tell you the whole story. One of the local commuter lines got hit with a nasty stomach bug, so they were short on conductors. Needing the extra cash, I decided to volunteer to help them out for a couple of weeks. So during one of the runs I did to the south, I'd always get these same commuters coming back on my train every day. I'd get down to take a piss and grab a coffee, and I'd see the same people hopping off the one car. One of them was this bombshell. She always wore these fuck-me pumps and little skirt suits. She had blonde hair, a natural honey blonde, not one of those bleached bitches. It was always down and wavy, looking like she'd just taken it out of the bun she had it in for work. She'd run her hands through it and just shake it out while she strutted into the terminal. I always enjoyed following her back into the terminal, you know how it is. He smirked. Mason shook his head, but he was smiling. So one evening, I take a piss and head over to grab a coffee, and there she is. Bill continued. She smiles and says, hey, you're the conductor for the last commuter train, right? And I say, yeah. I'm not sure where she's going with this. Maybe she left something on the train and she wants me to get her back on or something. Anyway, I'm just happy she's talking to me, As much as I like checking her out from behind, it's pretty enjoyable from the front, too. He waggled his eyebrows and Kowalski snorted. So she says she's super fascinated by trains. Always has been since she was a little girl. I'm thinking, holy shit, here's my chance. And I ask her if she wants to see the engine. Okay, come on, this is just fantasy land now. Mason cut in, putting his hands up. It's cool if you were just laid off due to budget cuts. But you don't need to- don't stop him just when he's getting to the good part, Kowalski joked. Bill bristled. I'm telling you the truth, boy, he said to Mason. Now, do you want to hear the story or not? Mason motioned for him to continue. So I ask her if she wants to see the engine, and she gets all excited, Bill continued. So I'm thinking, there's no way that this is going where I think it's going. But whatever, pretty lady wants to see my engine. I'll give her a tour, enjoy the view, and then I've made her day and she's made mine. I help her up into my domain and give her a tour. She's so fucking excited like she wasn't lying about liking trains. I've never seen a girl get so juiced over mechanical parts. I'm having a hard time containing myself if you get my drift. Turns out, that's totally okay, because she comes on strong, and before long, we're fucking like rabbits in the train. Okay, no way. Mason said, "This is ridiculous." You asked. Bill replied with a shrug, "I'm tellin', if you don't want to know, I want to know." Kowalski piped up, "What happened? Did you get caught?" "Well, not right away." Bill scratched the back of his head with a laugh. "But when one of the inspectors found a pair of lacy panties hanging off the fuel gauge, she flew into a rage and demanded that the company make an example of me." "Damn," Mason replied. He paused for a moment. Apocalypse aside, do you think it was worth it? Fuck yeah, Bill said without missing a beat. She blew my fucking mind. I'll never forget the sight of her bent over my console. The only thing that sucks is that I never got her name. She'll forever just be the blonde that fucked me out of my job. I'm still calling bullshit, Mason proclaimed. They would have just suspended you for that. Bill got a sheepish grin on his face before coming clean. All right, Mason, you got me. The real reason just isn't anywhere near as fun. Everyone other than Mason let out a deflated sigh, disappointed that the mental images of sex-fueled antics were nothing more than a figment of their imagination. Well, spill it, man. What got you let go? Mason pried. The part about taking the commuter train work was true, Bill said, attempting to regain his credibility. On the third run, I got a call about an unruly passenger, so we made an unscheduled stop in some pissant town so the asshole could be kicked off. Turns out, the asshole was the son of the commuter line owner. Needless to say, this didn't go over well with him, so asshole complained to his asshole daddy, who complained to my asshole former boss. Yeah, upon further review, you should have just stuck with the lie, Mason deadpanned. There was a round of chuckles through the vehicle, and then Kersey slowed down as they approached the bridge. Shit, Kowalski muttered. The entire thing was packed full of vehicles. There had either been a traffic jam overrun by zombies, forcing everyone to flee, or somebody had blocked off the bridge on purpose. But it looked too haphazard, not planned enough. Should we try to move him, Sarge? Brett's voice came through the radio. Kersey pursed his lips in thought. Let's have a look. He turned to the back seat. Mason, stay here with Bill while we investigate. Yes, sir, Mason replied. Brett's Baker, and Johnson met Kersey and Kowalski in front of the bridge, taking a good long look at it in a loaded silence. Well, Johnson asked, we could always just plow through em. The SUVs will make quick work of some of them hatchbacks. Kersey shook his head. I don't want to risk damaging our vehicles and not being able to get to the rail yard, he replied. Getting Bill to a train is priority one. If we can't do it quickly, then we need to do it as safely as possible. You think we should go back to the 83 bridge then? Bratz asked. What if it's just as blocked? Kersey sighed. If that's the case, then we can work on making a path on this bridge, but I feel that trying to take the path of least resistance might be our best option right now. Whatever you say, Sarge, Johnson replied. Baker shrugged. It makes sense. It's not really that many blocks over anyway. If we're going to encounter resistance, I don't think taking the other bridge will make it that much worse. Famous last words, Johnson replied, and clapped him on the back as they headed back to the SUVs. Chapter 14 The 83 bridge had a few cars smashed up here and there, but was fairly clear. Kersey led the convoy carefully across, keeping eyes peeled for any signs of trouble. Not only were there zombies to worry about, but after what he'd seen in La Crosse, he couldn't help but be wary of any survivors lurking about, especially opposing the military. Once across, he turned left on an eerily empty street, away from a big box store. They passed a car wash and a few industrial buildings, and then a hospital on the right. Kersey fought the urge to stop. Medical supplies were the most important thing next to food, but they wouldn't even know what they were looking for, and they didn't have a lay of the land, not to mention the amount of zombies wandering around in the courtyard, in and out of the busted-in emergency room lobby. Shortly past that was a park, and he had to slow down to avoid debris in the road. What the fuck is that? Mason breathed, looking out the window to his left. There was an adjacent park, but it was absolutely littered with little crimson lumps. It looked like there had been a massacre, but the bodies were too small to be human or zombie. Kowalski pointed to a sign up ahead. "Wagontails Bark Park. Bill gagged. Mason shook his head. Maybe it's stupid to be sad for a bunch of dogs, but it's worse they probably died trying to protect their owners. Who probably fed on them after they turned, Kowalski muttered, and the imagery made the other passengers shiver. Okay, be ready, Kersey said, as he pulled into a parking lot, avoiding a few burning cars. I'm going to drive the walking path through those trees, and then we're in the suburbs, this could get ugly. The soldiers checked their weapons, and Bill grasped his handgun tightly. Kersey eased up onto the walking path, the sturdy grass on either side providing traction for the large vehicle. Brett stayed right up close to his back bumper, knowing they were about to head into a possible war zone. What else was new? They were always about to head into a possible war zone. When they crested the trees and hit asphalt once again, the soldier's eyes widened. Looks like they got hit hard, Kowalski breathed, surveying the damage. Not one house seemed to be intact, windows and doors blown out. Cars were overturned, some smashed together, some burnt to a crisp. There was new development happening on the right of them, but the wooden framing was busted and all caved in on itself. Kersey took it slow, eyes sweeping the road in front of him, back and forth. A few houses on the left were on fire, and the smoke blew lazily onto the road. Visibility was poor and it made the hair on the back of his neck stand on end, as if each follicle were on high alert. Sarge, Kowalski cried, the first to spot the jagged shadow of a pack of zombies through the smoke. Kersey hit the brakes, turning slightly so that Bretz could avoid him if he didn't stop quickly enough. What's up, Sarge? The other driver asked through the radio. Kersey clenched his jaw. We've got company, he said, and opened the sunroof. Kowalski. The sniper nodded and stood, poking the top half of his body up through the hole, bringing the scope to his eye. There was a short gust of wind, and it blew the smoke clear from the top for just long enough of a moment for him to see just what lay ahead for them. Sarge, it's a horde up there, he called down. Fuck, Kersey muttered. How many? I only got a glimpse, but they went over a block up the street and are covering everything front lawns, sidewalks. There are a lot, Kowalski replied. Okay, come back in, the sergeant instructed, and lifted his radio to his mouth. Brett's, we gotta turn around. There's a horde here that's too risky to face head on. You take point. Take the next side street, and then take the next left. We'll see what we can see. Ten-four, 4, Brett's replied, and began a five point turn to swing around. Shit, Sarge, there's a bunch on this side now, too. How many? They can't have just amassed out of thin air, Kersey replied. A fucking sea of them, sir, Brett said. We don't have the bullets to deal with a battle of this magnitude, the sergeant mused. And this neighborhood is in a lot worse shape than the last one we were in. I doubt we'll be able to forage for weapons here. We need the ammo to sweep the train yard. But we need to get to the train yard, Kowalski replied. And as if on cue, the corpses reached the SUV, smacking wet flesh against the fiberglass and windows. The groans echoed in the pungent air, bouncing into them from the sunroof. Let me draw them away, Mason said, leaning forward from the back seat. Kersey shook his head. What? I'll get in the other SUV, they get into this one, and I'll crank the music and lead them away, he said. Kersey shook his head again. No, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. Why not? Mason jutted out his chin. Sarge, we don't have another choice. We can't just drive over them because they'll follow us. We don't have the ammo to take them all down, and you need to get Bill to the train yard. 250,000 troops need those trains. The sergeant scrubbed his hands down his face. It should be me, he muttered. No, you should be heading this mission, Mason countered. Let us grunts do the grunt work. When you're all ready to go, radio me and I'll leave them in the dust and circle back. You fucking better, Kowalski said sternly. Brett, I'm going to need you three to climb over into this vehicle, Kersey said into the radio. A laugh came back. Sorry, Sarge, I misheard you. It sounded like you said you wanted me, Baker, and Johnson to get into your SUV. That is what I said, Kersey replied. Mason is going to take yours and draw the horde away from the train yard. Alone? Baker's voice came through, sounding strained. I'll go too. No, private. Priority is to secure the train yard, Kersey replied. Mason can handle himself. Bratz, pull up beside us. Mason slung his rifle over his shoulder and smirked. Finally, I'll get to listen to the music I want to listen to. Ugh, you're gonna blast shitty gangster rap? Kowalski wrinkled his nose. That, Mason pointed at his comrade, is racist. He stood up and slid out of the sunroof onto the roof of the SUV. Be safe, Kersey called, and Mason gave him a salute before clambering over to the top of Brett's vehicle. Johnson was the first to pop up, shaking his head. Crazy fuckers, how are we all gonna fit in there? You could always sit on Brett's lap, Mason replied with a smirk. Johnson muttered to himself as he stepped over to the other SUV, lowering himself into the back seat, narrowly missing, kicking Kowalski in the head. Baker was a little more graceful, dropping down to sit between the redneck and Bill. Bretts paused a moment, reaching out to shake Mason's hand. See you later, private, he said firmly, and his companion nodded with a smile. Yes, sir, he said, and then dropped into the driver's seat. By this point, the zombies were going absolutely crazy, so upset that their boxed meals weren't opening up for them. Guess you're getting in the trunk, Johnson bellowed, and Brett shook his head. Fuck no, I'll stay up here, he replied, and dangled his legs into the sunroof, planting his ass firmly between two lengths of roof rack. Kersey cut the engine, turning off the lights, and pulling out the keys so that there was no incessant beeping. Mason revved his engine and a sudden blast of loud death metal exploded into the air. Kowalski laughed and shook his head. His companion gave him the devil horns through the window, and then squealed the tires, putting the car into gear to start plowing through zombies. He moved slow enough that they could keep up, but drew them back towards the 83. Thanks, buddy, Baker said quietly, and the mood in the car was somber as the distorted power cords faded away into the distance. Chapter 15 The air in the SUV was thick with trepidation. Brett eventually ducked inside and closed the sunroof, as it seemed that some of the zombies were too interested in the breathing meal up on top of the vehicle. There was enough legroom that he was able to sit backwards on the center console, facing the three in the back seat. He'll be fine, Brett said quietly, studying Baker's fearful expression his comrade shook his head. I know, I mean, there are about a billion things that could go wrong, but he's tough, as long as we don't leave without him. I'm not leaving him behind, Kersey replied firmly. If anything happens, at least he knows to just follow the train tracks back towards Kansas, Bill supplied, but Baker just glowered at him. They're starting to thin out, Kowalski cut in in his level tone. Everyone looked outside, and he was right. The zombies were no longer shoulder to shoulder. There was definitely more breathing room. It felt like forever for the horde to finally break up into a few stragglers. They didn't seem to be interested in following their brethren, but it was only a dozen or so. Wish I had old Betsy with me, Johnson said wistfully, and Bill raised an eyebrow at him. Bretz laughed. You sure seem to have fun with that spiky truck, he said, and the redneck nodded emphatically. Okay, Kersey piped up. I think we're on enough of a decline that if I put it in neutral, we'll roll back without making too much noise. Brett's head back up top and see if you can get a better lay of the land. Yes, sir, he replied, and opened up the sunroof, climbing back up onto the roof rack. The smoke wasn't as thick anymore, and the few zombies milling about didn't even seem to notice him. He drew his hunting knife and lay down flat on his belly holding onto the rack and entwining his feet in the sunroof so that his arm was within headshot distance of the enemies that would be going past. Kersey put the shifter into neutral and eased off the brake. The SUV began to roll backwards as he'd hoped, and slow enough that it wouldn't attract too much attention. Brett's grinned as a few zombies thwacked off of the back bumper, staggering and being flattened by the big tires. He managed to stab two on the way by in the skull, dropping them in crumpled heaps to the ground. Soon the street was clear, and he flipped over, sitting up so he could look down into the driver's seat. Clear behind us, Sarge, he reported. Kersey gently turned the wheel, looking behind him to guide the SUV half into a driveway before there was no more gravity pulling them backwards. He turned off the headlights and started the engine, and then eased back onto the road, trying not to rev too loud. When it looked like they were in the clear, he sped up a bit and they wound through the rest of the suburb, fingers on the trigger. Mason leading the horde away had been a one-time thing. If they encountered anything to that magnitude again, they'd be in a shitload more trouble. Kersey let out an audible sigh of relief as they drove out of town, hitting a dirt road that would wind along the river to the south end of the rail yard. Johnson hooted, startling everyone in the vehicle. Fuck yeah, we fucking got this. Save your cheering for when we're driving away on a train, Baker muttered, but he couldn't put a damper on the redneck's excitement. Kowalski lifted his radio to his lips. Mason, we're clear of town, copy? There was a pregnant pause, and everyone held their breaths. Copy, good to hear, buddy. He came back, crackling a bit with some crunchy guitar riffs in the background we're having a rave downtown. Kowalski laughed. Copy that, he replied. We'll touch base when we're on a train. Head to the north end of town and try to circle back, got it? 10-4, Mason replied, and then cranked the music back up to full volume before letting go of his receiver. If you take this road up, there's a tourist tower where we can see the entire rail yard, Bill said, leaning forward and pointing at the next crossroad. nodded. Good idea. He turned up Homestead Road, stifling a bitter chuckle at the name. There was nothing about the apocalypse that felt like a homestead anymore. The tower stood tall and proud over top of a parking lot, with a tourist building attached to it, likely a gift shop. Kersey pulled into the parking lot and drove as close to the front door as he could. He turned around, and Brett leaned forward to listen in. Baker, Kowalski, you're with me. Cursey said, we're going to take Bill up that tower and have a look at the rail yard. We'll sweep the area and see if there are any threats, figure out how to neutralize them, and Bill will locate where we need to go to get the rig that he needs. Johnson, Brett's, keep your eyes and ears peeled. Make sure there's nothing lurking about. One of you stay in the driver's seat in case we need to make a quick getaway. Everyone clear? There was a chorus of yes sirs all around, and then Cursey nodded. He turned to the driver's side door peering out before opening it and hopping down to the asphalt. Brett slid down into the driver's seat from the sunroof, giving him a thumbs up as he closed the door. Kowalski opened the back door to let Bill and Baker out, and Kersey touched the conductor's arm. You stay between us at all times, understand? The sergeant asked firmly. Bill rolled his eyes and held up his gun. I'm not exactly helpless, you know. You're still not trained military, Kersey shot back and you're the only one who knows how to operate that train, so stay between us. Bill nodded in defeat and let the men form a rough triangle around him, Kowalski in front. They knocked on the front door of the tourist building to try to draw out anything from inside. A lone zombie staggered to the door, looking pretty loopy with a bashed-in head. Apparently somebody didn't finish the job, Baker mused. Kowalski opened the door and immediately stabbed the corpse in the head kicking it inside so it wouldn't obstruct the doorway. The quartet moved slowly through the area, which was a museum and gift shop combo, all the way to the back, where the walkway to the Golden Spike Tower was. The glass-topped walkway was ominously quiet, but they encountered no resistance. Kowalski moved slowly but purposefully all the way up the spiral staircase inside, popping up into a large viewing area. It was easily the size of two conference rooms, with windows all along every wall. It was a panoramic view of the area, and showed them all of the rail yard. Clear, Kowalski announced, and the other three emerged behind him. He crossed to the panels facing the southern rail yard, and slid open the window so he could rest his rifle on the sill, and have a look through his scope. What have you got? Kersey asked, coming up behind him. The private shrugged. Nothing we can't handle, he replied. Random stragglers around, none in groups of more than two. It doesn't look like there are any pockets where there could be giant groups, aside from the warehouse buildings that I can't see inside. But they look open, so I don't know if there would particularly be anything trapped inside. That's good news, Kersey replied with a nod. Bill, do you want to take a look, see what we're working with here? He stepped forward, and Kowalski gently handed over the rifle. The older man peered through the scope and swept around the large rail yard. There's our girl, he said quietly and pulled back, pointing. See the red engine over there with 30 or so cars behind it? We'd have to unlatch the majority of them, but that's easy enough. It's a diesel electric too, so better on fuel. Kersey looked through the scope to where he motioned and nodded. Looks good. He turned to Kowalski. I want you to monitor things from up here keep a bird's eye view on what's going on. If you see any big groups of zombies, you give us a heads up. Don't fire unless you have to, though. We don't want to make too much noise before we get up and running. Yes, sir, Kowalski replied. Okay. Kersey turned back to Bill. Let's get you in that train. Chapter 16. Bill directed Bretts from the back seat driving slowly around the winding driveways to get to where they needed to be. Thankfully, all of the tracks were lowered into the asphalt, so there wasn't any trouble driving the SUV over them. That one, Bill said, and pointed to the red engine car he'd spotted from the tower. Brett's pulled up right next to it. Baker, Johnson, you're with me, Kersey instructed. Bill, you stay in the car with Brett's while we sweep the area and unlatch the extra cars. They dismounted the vehicle, guns at the ready, and checked around the train, listening hard for any moans or groans in the immediate vicinity. Kersey stepped up into the engine car, checking the driver's area and the back engine room. Clear, he said from the doorway, as the other two came back around from the front of the train. Clear, Baker replied. Kersey stepped down and opened the back passenger door, letting Bill out. Okay, what's next, he asked. I need to have a look inside, make sure everything is in working order, Bill replied, and check the fuel levels. Is it possible to do all of that quietly? Kersey asked. Yes, sir, Bill said. We'll also need to check to make sure that only the cars we need are coupled. We don't want to drive away with a full train. Baker and Johnson can take care of that, Kersey replied. You'll just need to show them what to look for. Okay, let's do that first, Bill agreed and headed towards the back of the engine car. They reached the coupling between the engine and the first box car, and Bill knelt down. These claws are gripping each other. This means it's attached. There's a pin that goes in the top here, and the cord underneath is plugged in. Just pull the pin and rip out the cord, and we're good to go. Got it, Johnson replied, and Baker nodded. Okay, you two check the cars and make sure we don't have any rail riders, and keep alert, Kersey said. Bretz, you stay out front of the engine car, keep an eye out. I'll assist Bill where I can inside. The burly soldier nodded and led Bill back to the door, where he clambered up the stairs into the engine car. Kersey followed him, finding the relieved smile on his face a bit endearing. Happy to be back in action? The sergeant asked. Yes and no, Bill replied honestly. I did really love my job, and it was shit to be let go over something so stupid and I always planned on getting back into the game someday when the dust settled. Then the fucking apocalypse happened, and I figured I was just gonna die in La Crosse. It's nice to be back in here, but I definitely didn't think that it would be under these circumstances. Fair enough, Kersey replied. I suppose I should be thankful, Bill said with a shrug. Now not only am I back doing my job, but I'm also not gonna die in La cross. Maybe somewhere else, but definitely not in that shithole. They shared a chuckle as Bill wandered along the engine. He whistled low in his throat and muttered some specks under his breath that Cursey wouldn't have understood anyway. Well, we're definitely gonna need fuel, he said. We won't be able to get very far on this. I don't want to bank on the refueling stations along the way being in working order. If we're lucky, there should be fueling trucks in one of the warehouses. If we're lucky, Cursey retorted. Had luck really been on their side all this time? He supposed a little bit, since they'd made it this far, but they'd lost a lot too, and they weren't in the clear yet. He walked to the doorway, peering at the nearest warehouse. What are the chances there'd be one in that one? Bill stepped beside him. Your guess is as good as mine, I suppose. If this were my operation, I'd have them in every building so they were accessible to every set of tracks. There are so many fucking trains all over the place, you'd think they'd want to be able to refuel from every direction. Okay, Kersey replied, and lifted his radio to his lips. Kowalski, come in. Loud and clear up here, sir, Kowalski replied. We need to locate a fuel truck to fill up the train, the sergeant said. They're likely in one of the warehouses, but we're hoping to make better time than combing every building. You see anything that might be useful? Give me a sec, Sarge, came the reply, and then a click. Meanwhile, Johnson and Baker were checking the third car. Looking good, Brosky," Johnson said, using his knife hand to get back to his feet. Baker rolled his eyes. Where'd you get Brosky from, Mason? Edwards, actually, the redneck replied. Sometimes when he was good and liquored up, he'd get all bro with me. Odd, considering how often he gave you a hard time, Baker replied, a note of regret in his voice. He and Edwards hadn't always seen eye to eye, but it still stung to know he was gone, and in such a manner. Yeah, well, booze brings people together, Johnson said, pulling out his flask as they wandered down to the next car. Baker chuckled as they approached the coupling, and then squinted. All right, let's get this bitch unlatched, he said, and knelt down. He grabbed one end and reached up under the metal of the other car to feel around for the other side. A snarl greeted him, and he threw himself backwards, smacking his head off of the coupling itself. Shit, Johnson hissed, dragging his comrade backwards, as a zombie flopped around from behind one of the wheels. It looked like it didn't have legs anymore, and wiggled like a fish as it tried to grasp its meal. Johnson leapt forward, burying his knife in its head, silencing it. The two soldiers froze, listening but there were no more moans or groans in the still air. You okay? Johnson asked finally. Baker nodded. Yeah, thanks, man, he replied. Fucker hiding down there. He peered under the cars carefully before reaching up to grab the cables again. Once they were detached, he stood up and Johnson patted him on the shoulder, offering his flask. Baker laughed and took a swig. Sarge, the warehouse behind the one closest to you has some open bay doors, Kowalski reported. It looks like there are a few trucks there. I think there are tanks on the back of them, but it's hard to tell from my angle. That's the best I got for you. 10 for Kowalski, thanks, Kersey replied. Seeing any movement from up there? Just a few stragglers here and there, nothing major, the sniper said. Kersey nodded. Copy that, he replied, and clipped the radio back to his chest. Brett's appeared in the doorway. You need me to go get one of those trucks, Sarge? He asked. I'd much rather everyone travel in pairs, Kersey replied. He switched to Johnson's frequency and clicked the button on his radio once to signal that he wanted to talk without making too much noise in case they had to be stealthy. What's up, Sarge? Johnson replied. We need to get a fuel truck from the warehouse to fill up the train, Kersey explained. What's your ETA? There was a pause. We're about halfway down, probably fifteen or so to go. You know, I'll be fine in here if I just close the door, Bill piped up. I'm just doing checks in here. Brett's will need you as backup much more than I will. Kersey pursed his lips in thought. Bill was right, and time was important. They had to be as quick as they could. Every second they wasted was one more second that Mason was in danger. Brett shrugged. It's your call, Sarge he said. Kersey lifted the radio to his lips again. Okay, be thorough but quick, he instructed. When you're done, get back here as fast as you can. I'm going to go with Brett's to retrieve the fuel, and Bill is going to close and bar the door. I'm leaving him with the radio. Make sure to stay in contact. 10-4, Sarge, Johnson replied. Kersey turned to Bill and unclipped the radio from his belt. Keep that door barred. Do not leave this train car, do you understand? Ten-four, Sarge, Bill replied with a smirk and a little salute. Kersey shook his head and moved down the steps to join Brett's. They waited until Bill closed the door and then got into the SUV. Brett's lifted his radio to his mouth. Kowalski, Sarge and I are headed to the fuel trucks, he said. Johnson and Baker are checking the couplings and then returning to Bill in the engine car. Ten-four, Kowalski replied. Kersey drove out of their section of train yard, back to one of the driveways, bustling around the multitude of tracks to circle around to the nearest warehouse. He swerved gently to the right to run over a staggering zombie, reveling in the crunch of its head beneath the tires. He eased into the parking lot of the first warehouse, aiming for the maintenance road to the left. At the far corner, there was a cluster of bodies moving out from behind the back of the building, and Kersey slowed. They noticed the vehicle and groaned, tripping over themselves to run towards the vehicle. He waited until they were about 20 yards away, and then gunned it forward, smacking into them hard. Bodies flew, disoriented, and the soldiers drew their knives and hopped out of the vehicle, taking advantage of the stunned corpses to dispatch them. As Kersey stabbed one in front of the car, another managed to get back to its feet and dove for him, shrieking. Bretts barreled into it, landing hard in the dirt, and stabbed it multiple times in the face. Both soldiers waited for a moment to make sure none of their friends were coming, and then got to their feet. Thanks, Kersey said as he wiped his knife on his pants. Bretts nodded. No problem, Sarge. They got back in the SUV and drove over the enemy around the warehouse. Kersey nosed around carefully so they could take a look at the parking lot. There were a few cars and trucks strewn about, but no zombies. They headed for the back warehouse, the bay doors open as Kowalski had reported. This one was smaller, with a maintenance area by the bay doors, and the whole other side full of offices with glass walls. Brett's pointed as they got out of the SUV, jaw set. Looks like they had an outbreak on a workday, he said, noting the zombies slapping against the glass. They all wore business attire, button-down shirts, stained with crimson. Kersey shook his head. Keep on alert in case they manage to break through, he said. Let's check these trucks. They moved down the line of tanker trucks, sweeping behind them to make sure there weren't any zombies lurking about. The first two were empty, much to their dismay. Kersey leaned over to check the fuel gauge on the third truck. This one is almost full, he declared and Brett's came around the back to join him. The sergeant opened the driver's side door and felt around for keys. No keys, he sighed. Hey, Sarge, Brett said, motioning to the glass wall of zombies. Behind them, affixed to the far wall, was a big board full of keys. Of course, Kersey replied. They approached the offices, the zombies going even more crazy on the other side as their potential meals got closer to them. The soldiers surveyed the door on the far end, and then looked all the way down the row of cubicles to the other end. "Okay," the sergeant said. "You head to the other side and bang on the glass. See if you can get them all to follow you. I'll crouch down on the other side of that door, and when you've got them all occupied, I'll run in and grab the keys." "Sure thing, Sarge," Bretz replied, and clapped him on the shoulder. "Be safe." "Will do," Cursey replied, and jogged over to the door. Some of the zombies attempted to follow him, but as he crouched down and Bretz began to knock on the glass, they got distracted quickly. The burly soldier tapped on the glass, running along the wall and sneering at the corpses, trying so hard to get to him. Fucking murdering shits, he muttered, drumming out a beat on the last glass panel to keep them all occupied. Kersey crept to the door and pushed it open silently, closing it gently behind him. He stayed low as he ran to the back wall and ran his hands over the key rings. There were four that bore the same emblem as the fuel truck, so he stuffed those into his pockets and ducked down to stay out of sight for the way back. As he passed one of the cubicles, a body fell out of it and smacked into him, knocking him clean over. He smashed into a water cooler and it fell over, causing an epic clatter on the tile floor. Kersey jumped to his feet and tore for the door, as the zombies decided that he was more interesting than Brett's. He grasped the handle and pulled, throwing himself out and jerking the door shut behind him. He swung wildly with his knife, trying to dislodge the arm stuck in the door, and Brett's ran up to join him, kicking the limbs back inside as best he could. Finally, the door latched, and they backed up, breathing hard. All good, Sarge? Brett's asked. Cursey nodded jerkily and reached into his pocket for the keys. Yep. They ran back over to the truck, and Kersey got in. The third set was the charm, and the vehicle roared to life. So much for being quiet, he said. Okay, I'll take this back to the train and get fueled up. You take the SUV and go pick up Kowalski. Ten four, Brett said, and headed off to the SUV, lifting his radio to his mouth to instruct Kowalski to be ready. Just as he put his foot inside to get into the driver's seat, gunshots echoed through the still air. Chapter 17 Kersey pulled up next to Brett's as he raised his radio. What's going on over there? He asked. Looks like a bunch of them just came out of nowhere, Kowalski replied. They're just popping out between the trains. Johnson and Baker are backing up towards the engine car. Can he hit any? Kersey asked. Bretz nodded. Can you shoot any from where you are? he asked. A few, but it's tight and I'd be worried about ricochets, Kowalski replied. Negative, Kersey said immediately, and Bretz nodded again. Sarge says hold your fire, he instructed. I'm coming to pick you up now. Meet me outside. 10 4, Kowalski replied. Kersey nodded to Bretz. See you over there, he said and revved up to bustle up the maintenance road. Brett's quickly hopped in the SUV and tore after him, kicking up dust as he turned to the right to go and pick up their sniper. Bill clutched the radio as he heard gunshots from outside and looked through the windows. He couldn't see anything on the front side. What's happening out there? He asked. Stay inside. Johnson came back and then clicked off at the sound of more Gunshots. Shouldn't you guys come in here? Bill asked, but there was no answer. Kersey had told him not to open the door or go outside, but if it would save his men, then shouldn't he do it? Don't even think about opening that fucking door, Johnson came back, as if he could read his mind. Bill clenched his jaw. His eyes widened at the sight of a pack of zombies coming into view around the left side of the train, and leaned over the console to stare, open mouthed, at the heads of the dead. They're coming around the other side, he cried into the radio, but there was no reply. Kersey screamed around the line of trains, pulling up just to the corner of the last train before theirs. He wanted to be close enough to fire, but not so close that an errant bullet could hit the tank on the back. He opened the driver's side window and snaked out of it, sitting on the sill and flipping his rifle off of his back. Zombies swarmed the engine car, smacking the sides and he drew his eyes up to see Johnson and Baker standing up top, the redneck hooting as he fired down at the hungry horde. We got this, Sarge, Johnson cried and fired down, dropping bodies left and right. Baker stood over the other side, taking care of the zombies over there, and Kersey shook his head, lifting his rifle to take out the ones at the front, careful not to hit the train itself. Bill gripped his gun tightly unable to see any action outside. He could see Sergeant Kersey hanging out of a fuel truck off to the side, but couldn't see what his shots were producing out front. Fuck it, he shook his head. He had to finish his checks. That was his mission. It wasn't his job to protect the soldiers. It was the other way around. And if by some horrible fate, they all died out there, at least he could get the train out of the city and try to get in touch with somebody. He turned away from the front window and moved back to the engine, pulling a clipboard from the wall and running through the last few gauges. A few minutes later, the gunfire stopped. Bill paused and then hung the clipboard back up, walking slowly to the front of the train. He couldn't see much through the front window, and he paused by the door. His radio crackled. You can open the door now, Bill. Johnson's voice came through, and the conductor's heart began to beat again. He unbarred the door and opened it, nearly gagging on the stench of rotten flesh that hit him in the face. There was a sea of bodies around the train, a few feet deep, and the soldiers stood on the other side, guns in hand. You assholes are badass, he breathed, and Johnson smirked. Cursey nodded. How's it going in there? He asked. Ready to go when we're fueled up. Bill replied, trying to stifle the shaking of his hands. Just show us where it goes, Baker prompted, and he and Johnson wandered off to grab the hose from the fuel truck. Bill walked down the steps, adrenaline leaving a heavy exhaustion on his joints, and gingerly stepped on the pile of corpses at the bottom. Kersey reached out to steady him and helped him jump down to the ground. You're pretty good at following orders, he commended. Thanks for staying inside. I wasn't about to come out into this, Bill replied, waving his arms at the bodies. I figured I'd be more of a liability than a help. He peered around the front of the train. We'll have to clear those if we want a smooth takeoff. Kersey nodded, and Kowalski and Bretts set to moving bodies out of the way. The sergeant stayed beside Bill as he led Baker and Johnson to the fuel hookup. Keep alert, soldiers, the sergeant declared. We might have attracted a lot of attention with that shootout. Bring him on, Johnson said with a sneer. Baker shook his head. Fuck off, he scolded, but there wasn't any venom in his voice. Kersey lifted his radio to his mouth. Mason, come back, he said. The air between the group seemed to go dead still while they waited for an answer. An answer that didn't come. Private Mason, do you copy? Kersey repeated. Nothing. Fuck, Baker snapped, stepping back from the train with his fists clenched. He might just be out of range, Bill said gently. Baker glared daggers at him, and the conductor put his hands up, turning back to the fuel line. When it finished, he unhooked it, and Johnson pulled it back out of the way. Shotgun, he said brightly, in an attempt to lighten the mood. But a somber heaviness had fallen over the group. Kowalski and Bretz waited by the door, frowning. We'll try again when we're headed back past town, Kersey assured them. Bretz nodded and waved for Bill to step inside first. Johnson followed, and then Kowalski. Kersey turned to Baker, who was firmly standing away from the door. We can't leave him, he said. Kersey shook his head. We're not, he replied. When we get back towards town, I'll keep trying him. But you won't wait if he doesn't reply, Baker shot back. The sergeant took a deep breath. No, we can't wait if he doesn't reply, he said. We can't. If he's not replying, that means he's dead, Private. And we can't compromise a mission for one man, even Mason. Baker stared at him helplessly. I'll just take the SUV and no, Private, Kersey said firmly. If you drive alone into that city, you're not going to rescue anybody. You're going to die. Get on the train, that's an order. Baker growled, but he knew he was beaten, and he stomped up the stairs. Bratz clapped Kersey's shoulder in understanding and walked up after him. The sergeant closed and barred the door behind him. So what if there's zombies on the tracks while we're going? Johnson asked. Bill got comfy in the driver's seat and fired up the engine, his heart soaring at the sound of the train rumbling to life with no problems. Oh, We'll be fine once we're moving, he said. That grill on the front of the train is called a cow catcher. It's made to knock shit out of the way so we don't get derailed. Johnson let out a low whistle. Well, if it can catch cows. Chapter 18. Kersey pulled out his satellite phone, dialing up General Stevens. Stevens, the general greeted immediately. Hello, General, Kersey replied. We've secured a train and we're heading out to clear a path for you guys. Great news, Stevens replied. How did it go? Never smoothly, the sergeant admitted. But we got what we needed, managed to fuel up enough to get us back to you. Hopefully the refuel stations on the way are working so we don't run into any complications. Excellent, Stevens replied. I have a team working on mapping out routes to get everyone northwest should the order come down. Hopefully that's sooner rather than later. The locals really don't like us, Kersey replied. Baker lifted his radio to his mouth. Mason, come in, he said, peering out the window at the city as they passed through it. Zombies drawn to the noise emerged from the streets, between buildings and cars. Some of them stuck against the railings, others like lemmings, fell down to the gravel below, lining the train tracks. Mason, come in, fuck, come on, Baker tried again. Problem, Sergeant? Stevens asked. Cursey sighed. Mason drove into the city by himself to draw a horde off of us so we could complete the mission. We haven't been able to get back in contact with him. That's unfortunate, Stevens replied. Keep trying, John, but don't forget what he sacrificed himself for. Kersey nodded. Understood, sir. Keep me posted, the general said. Talk soon. 10-4, the sergeant replied and ended the call. Mason, Baker yelled into his radio. They were two-thirds of the way through the city, and his heart sank into his shoes. Fuck. He knew what he was doing, Kowalski said quietly. Baker shook his head. I know that, he huffed, and swept back past them to be alone at the back of the car. Is the general happy? Bratz asked. Kersey nodded. You bet. Almost through town, Bill called back over his shoulder. You want me to stop and wait? Kersey took a deep breath. No, we haven't heard back from him. It's unlikely we will. Bill nodded, and the train flew out of North Platte, leaving behind zombies staggering around on the hot tracks. As the Lincoln Highway swerved in to run parallel to the tracks, movement caught Johnson's eye, and he did a double take. Is that a car? he asked. Kowalski leaned forward to look. Is that an SUV? Hey there, Sarge. Mason's voice came through the radio, his death metal still going in the background. Leaving without me? Baker tore to his feet from the back of the car. What the fuck? Mason, where the hell have you been? Kersey said into his radio. We tried to reach you. I couldn't circle back, so I zigzagged around town and decided to speed out this way to lose the horde, Mason explained. I figured I would see you since the highway follows the tracks. Son of a bitch, Johnson said with a laugh. Baker smacked Bill on the shoulder. Stop the train. I'm slowing down, keep your panties on, Bill replied good-naturedly. Can't just slam on the brakes on these puppies. We're going to stop, Kersey said into his radio. Get ready to pull over. 10-4, Mason replied. As soon as the train came to a stop, Baker unbarred the door. Mason pulled over and jogged down the grass ditch between them, hauling himself back up the other side. You fucker, we thought you were dead, Baker cried. Mason smirked. That sounds like a personal problem, he retorted, and his companion smacked his shoulder as he came up the stairs. I'm starving, he announced. Anyone got any Cheetos?
0: End of book six. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.